It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi. Hi, Fred. Well, first off, the third annual Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit is in the books, and there was some real work done bringing together the most diverse group that, that we've seen assembled, really, to focus on where we are today and where we should be going when it comes to smart, safe mobility and mobility for all. Really unique. Yeah, I, I think it was. And it was, um, I, well, of course, I think it's a, it was a smashing success. Uh, we had a couple glitches, of course, but otherwise it was really good. And it was good because, in fact, uh, this may be one of the, the few or maybe the only such uh, a conference in which we're actually doing some research here. Um, in terms of um, of having uh, of the availability of some of this technology and exposing for the very first time some some uh, people with uh, that are mobility challenged uh, to basically uh, see uh, touch and, and ride such a uh, such a system and get their initial reactions as as you know Fred what the major focus of this um, the summit was with respect to uh, trying to take these mobility machines uh, that we're trying to uh, develop here and uh, make sure that they are inclusive as opposed to exclusive and, and that they are mobility that can serve all in a community. So that if you um, uh, do operate over a street network in your community, and go of, uh, between uh, at least all the major places and many of the minor places that in fact in, in the provision of that mobility uh, you also have it so that it serves anyone who wants to travel uh, between those places uh, and uh, certainly um, not just the super rich uh, but but everyone and and so that was the focus and I think um, we uh, it was enormously successful in that realm. Yeah, I was impressed that you got when you were talking about uh, those issues uh, in front of the, the entire group. Uh, you really got an enthusiastic response to that, which was which was really heartwarming to see. Oh, it was enormously heartwarming. It wasn't only a, uh, enthusiastic; it was unanimous. I think everybody in the room realizes that. Now, maybe uh, you know. We didn't have the Daimlers of this world who uh, in the past have been, uh, you know, showing us uh, uh, these mobility machines for the super rich. Um, but we did have uh, we did have um, car dealers in, in there and car dealers from a hey, Daimler, also uh, Mercedes Benz. And um, and they they saw it and, and they were appreciative of the concept. And there were leading tech companies like uh, Intel, Velodyne, Local Motors, RoboSense, Carmera, Autonomous Stuff, DD, and more really brought together with the leaders in in the insurance industry, uh, including Munich Re and the New Jersey, New Jersey manufacturers. And uh, I like the law enforcement representation, too, the staff sergeant from New York who actually joined us on a podcast and absolutely and and uh, terence he's he's probably the uh, law enforcement uh, person who is uh, has been most focused on this technology and and looking and 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 most knowledgeable about the 
uh, the law enforcement angle. And here the law enforcement angle has to deal with, uh, my goodness, these vehicles are going to be out, out there on the roads. And, and how, are, how, how is law enforcement and emergency response uh, really supposed to uh, address and, and permit these uh, uh, mobility machines to offer the mobility to everyone that, uh, that they've been designed to, to, to do so? It was great having Terrence here, and it was, um, again, um, as we tried to do in the previous two, and I think really did well in the, in the third one, was uh, we're trying to hit the, the whole spectrum of issues, um, not just the, the technology and not just the AI, although we dealt with the technology, and I think actually we dealt with the critical issues in the AI, and and that has to do, <clears throat> do with the uh, with uh, whether or not we understand it, it's trustworthy, and and whether or not we can rely on it. And uh, and of course, we can't thank uh, Local Motors enough for getting the Ollie vehicle there to Princeton and, and being able to show really to some of the mobility disadvantaged groups just what the potential is here. Yeah, very thankful to Local Motors, uh, and, and in fact, not just bringing the vehicle, we were prepared to uh, be able to accomplish a lot if if it was just available as a static demonstration, but in fact, uh, we got it so that it would actually provide uh, rides uh, around the inside of the football field. I don't know how many touchdowns it scored. It scored <laughs> a lot of them. Uh, going both ways, but uh, basically going around inside the Princeton Stadium on Powers Field, and and it was a great venue, and and I think maybe one of my <clears throat> listeners or our listeners will will correct me. I think this is, was the first time one of these vehicles was ever uh, demonstrated, and of course demonstrate operated. Um, in New Jersey, uh, New Jersey has been um, in the in in the um, uh, hinterlands uh, on this technology. Uh, it's it's been a it's been a we could call it a um, driverless uh, vehicle desert because no one has brought a vehicle to New Jersey. It was kind of a shame we didn't take it down to the state capitol and show some legislators. But, but in fact, I, I don't think that was the right thing to do at this time. What's most important is to get the fundamental communities who, who would benefit most from the mobility that would be provided by this technology to be uh, the people the, to, to uh, uh, chime in at this time and provide uh, the the really necessary information so that we make this inclusive so it best serves them if if this best serves them then the politicians will line up and make it and allow it to happen it will be the grassroots the neighborhoods every street every homeowner or, or resident along every street that these that these operate um, that that need to be aligned that need to be uh, part of the army that that um, um, promotes this and 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 demands this and uh, those at the top will respond we're sort of taking uh, the in, the inverse uh, amazon hq2 
um, uh, approach. Uh, instead of uh, it coming down from the top and, and telling the people, here it is, yeah, what we're trying to do is uh, go to the people and say, uh, we want to uh, uh, deliver it to us. And uh, we have podcasts with some of those participants, and you have links to the, some presentations online, too, in the latest newsletter. Right. So um, we, we did a number of podcasts, and um, uh, many of the speakers um, uh, allowed us to, um, to make available their presentations. And then we also had nine workshops, and the findings of those workshops we're still uh, putting together and will distill, and we will put that out in, uh, in one form or another, and maybe a, a published volume or volumes. Uh, we're still working on that, but that's going to, that's going to take uh, part of the summer to be able to, to accomplish that. Terrific. And, and, of course, we need to thank all the people who – helped make this uh, such a success, uh, and your great staff, Alan, along with uh, all of those who participated and attended. Yes, I mean, it's the staff of the Operations Research and Financial Engineering Department that really put much of it together, but university staff, people up and down the line at the university that basically uh, decided to look at this as a glass half full as opposed to a glass half half empty and, and uh, basically uh, allowed us uh, to, to be successful. So uh, uh, thanks to all of them. And, um, you know, it looks like we're going to try to do a fourth one. If, if we can find some sponsors uh, to, be, to be able to sponsor it, uh, uh, we'll make it happen. It, it, unfortunately, it does take money to do all this. And, um, and uh, uh, I don't have a sugar daddy or <laughs> I'm, I've been the sugar daddy uh, mostly up to this point, so but um, it's time for some other folks to really step up and be the sugar daddy. Absolutely. Well, we've got some news to get to this week as yes. well. Uh, Nissan has announced that for now it will not include LiDAR and will stick with radar sensors and cameras for self-driving technology. Uh, you have some really interesting comments in the newsletter pointing out that uh, traditional car makers like Nissan here, want customers to stay behind the wheel. But they may be missing an opportunity when it comes to LiDAR if it means getting automatic emergency braking to really work. Yes, I mean, it's, it's not surprising that, that Nissan has said that because and said it appropriately in the, in the article with respect to self-driving. And as, as in our terminology, which, you know, other people's terminology, who knows, means that in fact uh you must be and there must be an adult supervisor behind the wheel ready to take over and uh, and do the driving um if uh the automated system um, is beginning to have troubles and so uh, uh, and in fact uh, given that OEMs uh, for the past 100 plus years have been selling uh, vehicles uh, to consumers uh, and then assuming uh, that those consumers are going to be then responsible for those vehicles and do the driving and be with them the whole time. Um, this, um, this kind of self-driving or even safe driving where there is a human in the loop, an adult supervisor behind the wheel ready to take over is part of their fundamental business practices 
as I think I sort of said it in jest a little bit, uh, you know, uh, this is the best chrome and fins that the auto industry has has tripped over in the last um, 50 years to, to sell uh, these vehicles to us. My goodness, if, uh, if we can have the perception that maybe uh, we can text uh, while being behind the wheel, in other words, we can maybe not pay attention for just a little bit of time while we text. Uh, we'll all go out and buy these things and, uh, and we'll, it'll just be great. And, uh, and so if in fact they can deliver this perception of being able to text, they don't have to deliver the fact that they can go by themselves with nobody in them. And it's a heck of a lot easier to technologically to make the vehicles be able to drive only in the very best conditions, only on the very best roads, only in some very uh, uh, limited areas. Um, and, um, and, and that's when we can text. Uh, otherwise, we're responsible. We do the driving. And of course, we, we run to the dealership and, and pay whatever they want for these things and take them home and be responsible for them and come back next year and buy a new one. I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's been the auto industry and this fits right in. So to do that, um, maybe you don't need LIDAR. If you're going to do the driverless, if you're going to have the mo- provide be the mobility machine and provide mobility to everyone and have it be just like an elevator so that it can take anybody from anywhere, not anywhere, but from many places to many places within whatever limited area <clears throat> uh, those happen to work, uh, then to do that, and that's uh, uh, much more challenging. And there, um, the folks that are doing that still believe that you really do need LIDAR. So uh, uh, in the short term, for uh, what is best for the auto industry, my goodness, self-driving, no LIDAR, maybe. And the maybe, which we point out in the, in the newsletter, is the maybe is, is they have a problem with automated emergency braking. It doesn't work. If, if, the, if the car is approaching a stationary object in the lane, it can't reliably tell, oh, it's okay, I can pass underneath it. Oh, no, it's, it's actually a stopped uh, fire truck or a, a tractor trailer crossing in front of me. If a tractor trailer crosses my lane in front of me, then its speed in my direction is zero. It looks like a stationary object. And my goodness, actually, uh, there's room underneath the trailer. Oh, maybe I can pass underneath. Oh, let's forget about that. Now, if that's the way their algorithms go inside their processing of their data, my goodness, they have a problem. They at least have the problem of the Joshua Brown crash of the Tesla. They have another problem of the of a similar crash that we might talk about in a couple of minutes. And they have a problem with with uh, with following a car in front of me and 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 then that car going changing lanes. And all of a sudden, the reason that car changed lanes is because everything is stopped ahead. And my goodness, my system says, "Oh, there's no longer a car slowing down ahead of me." 
I can now accelerate back up to the speed that I wanted to go because those objects ahead, I'm just disregarding them because most of the objects that I see ahead when I drive down the road are objects I can pass underneath. All the overhead bridges, all the traffic signs, all the traffic lights, all the the uh, trees uh, that provide that provide a canopy over my my two-lane road. These are all ob- stationary objects ahead that, that if I was to put on my brakes for them, oh my goodness, um, the car would be returned to the dealership immediately as a lemon. We can't have that. We can pass underneath it. Let's assume we pass underneath them, turn the darn thing off, forget about it if that's the way the automated emergency braking systems are designed, and I think it is, they have a problem. Well, the LIDAR makers we spoke to uh, at the summit uh, are contending that the, their newest equipment, which is even more affordable and smaller, uh, can can help to solve that. I, I think they are, and, and, and I think they can. Uh, is the price low enough? Um, it is low enough, okay? Because, because in fact, this is a bad problem. How can I text going down the road in which the automated emergency braking says disregard objects ahead if their speed in my direction and the direction that I'm approaching is somewhere near zero? They have to solve that. Well, you mentioned, uh, you alluded to the death of a driver uh, using, who was behind the wheel of a Tesla Model 3 that had autopilot active. Uh, This was back in March, uh, really underscores all of that. Uh, And the NTSB report came out this past week. Yeah, the NTSB uh, report actually says, talks about the the, uh, driver assistance package uh, the automated driver assistance package. Uh, I think they're alluding to equating that to to autopilot. Uh, fine, you can allude, uh, include that. Autopilot has, or in the system, an automated emergency braking system. And that automated emergency braking system, that piece of it, was not working. And probably not working because it was told in part of its code as part of its fundamental working to disregard objects ahead that have its speed, its component of velocity in the direction of the vehicle near zero. In other words, thinking that they're stationary objects. A truck or even a pedestrian moving slowly across the road ahead directly across their speed, their velocity vector is perpendicular to the direction of approach. And so the speed in the direction of approach, it looks like it's a stationary object. It's stationary with respect to that component of velocity. And I, and I believe, and as was pointed out uh, in, in the, uh, during our summit, um, uh, by uh, IIHS, uh, 
by David Kidd and showing videos, my goodness, uh, they disregard the data. So in fact, these systems see that there's a truck, a trailer crossing ahead. It's not that it looks like the background sky or anything like that. It sees it. It says, yeah, there is something there. Oh, it's probably just an overpass or it's probably just an overhead sign or it's probably just a tree canopy. I can pass underneath that. Forget about it. Check the code, uh, National Highway Traffic Safety. Check the code or uh, Transportation Safety uh, Administration. Check the code. You'll find it in the code. That's the way that logic is written. I bet. I guess one of the things we don't know uh, yet, Alan, uh, since Tesla, Elon Musk is is adamant about not, not using LiDAR or seeing the need for it, whether or not uh, their latest chip and uh, their upcoming software is going to be able to solve this w- without LiDAR. So. I guess that remains to be seen. I don't know. I mean, we're, I guess we have to assume that, that he can. He, look, how many of these Teslas have to have their, their tops sheared off uh, because the automated emergency braking system disregards stationary objects ahead or things that are stationary with respect to the, the direction of travel of the oncoming vehicle. Well, if he's saying he's going to have robo taxis running around, uh, well, <laughs> owned essentially you know, by Tesla owners next year, or all of a sudden <laughs> convert our Model Three into a robo taxi, I'm, you know, the, this you know, would that, certainly have to be solved. Uh, statement that's, you know, I don't. Nobody is, no, you know, no. Everybody has totally discounted that statement, um, and everybody will is, is I'm sure, uh, waiting to. Uh, to be be shown i guess that you know they're all everybody's from missouri on that one you know the show me state until until you can show me that one uh thank you elon right well from the newsletter bloomberg is reporting that uber has missed out on what it calls the opportunity of a lifetime in indonesia where two local ride hailing companies are, are doing very well well, I don't, I was going to put that in half-baked or even, come on, man, I don't know. <clears throat> Look, uh, it, it, it's a disgrace. Uh, Uber, Uber once once it, it had its troubles with, with Elena Herzberg, basically um, uh, forfeited all of its uh, exceedingly... Um, um, optimistic valuation opportunities uh, because um, after that it was going to make its money on the backs of gig workers and you know it's fine I mean they're not the the first uh, uh, company to uh, to profit from from labor it's it's fine it's part of the capitalistic system but the profit to the intensity uh, and the outrageousness of the valuations that were being thrown around and are being thrown around is, I mean, I don't know. That is the ultimate greed of Wall Street, really, because that's the only way they can make money. 
is is uh, is on the on the one dollar, two dollars, or pennies that they make on on the uh, labor of individuals, gig workers. And here we're talking about people that that are desperately trying to um, to feed their families. And so uh, to be able to accumulate enough pennies or enough dollars. Uh, from each of those individuals uh, to uh, to validate a, uh, a a valuation in the hundreds of billions of dollars, you're you're basically um, uh, uh, I guess uh, enslaving an enormous number of people, and and they are not a a, a internet. Um, a digital company they're a hard labor company uh, because that's they make it on the labor of individuals uh, providing individual trips and now let's make a little bit more on people delivering food uh, from uh, from a restaurant to uh, to the comfort of your home okay fine that those are worthwhile things to do but my goodness, uh, the only you have to accumulate so much from each of those individuals to then uh, sum it up to be a valuation in the hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, I guess as I put in the in the smart driving car newsletter, uh, you know, I think that every uh, uh, entity that's associated with gig workers and and employs gig workers should be a nonprofit. They should at least enable the gig workers uh, to um, to uh, have uh, uh, and keep as much of the money uh, for those services as possible. And the only thing that those companies should take back from that are operating costs. Yeah, and and thus you had a, a New York Times piece a few days ago headlined how the promise of a one hundred twenty billion dollar Uber IPO evaporated. Yes, but what the, they said they evaporated. It was it was all you know, uh, 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 Silicon Valley, uh, Wall Street, uh, bloody blah, blah. They they never even mentioned the fact that in that that really Uber as it as it now is 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 a is a gig company. And each one of its possible, any revenue that comes to them is on the backs of these individuals. And, uh, and how many backs do you have to be on and how much are you taking from each of these individuals in order to, to amass these ridiculous sums uh, that they had for, for the valuations? I mean, it is, it is Wall Street and, um, and Silicon Valley at its ugliest. As I put in there, U G L Y, you ain't got no alibi. You're ugly. <laughs> You're ugly. Well, uh, some of those gig workers are uh, the drivers are being warned by Lyft that they could be booted from the service if they tamper with surge pricing. Apparently, some turn off their apps when planes are, are landing at airports, for instance, and then turn them back on together when pricing for rides. Surges. 
Yeah, so of course. I mean, you know, Wall Street does that well. They manipulate demand so that the surge price, I guess, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say that. So my goodness, even the gig workers have figured out how to how to uh, 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 influence uh, demand so as to uh, then basically, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say cheat the, the traveling public. Those, they're desperate. You know they're they're working for for really low prices. In the past, and, and all of us who who take them have been enjoying those low prices up to the, this IPO time, uh, because of course uh, Wall Street was paying for it. All the investors were paying for it. They 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 uh, yeah, you know made the prices as cheap as possible to make this thing look and put as met, as much lipstick on this pig as they possibly could. And so, sure, they went out there and, and, and you know, we're doing that now. Now that it, it's gone on IPO and I guess the investment community is going to demand its, its um, pound of flesh on this one. Uh, the gig workers are either not going to get paid or um, the price is going to be so high that nobody can afford it. Uh which means that they can't be successful. Not without a, a path, I guess, to driverless, which uh, seems far off for them, at least at this point. Well, you know, I mean, that's been the argument. That was that was the argument. But they went out there and they they screwed up. They they hurt themselves. It wasn't that Waymo went out there and, and did it. It wasn't that that uh, you know that uh, you know some even even. Uh, uh, Anthony Lewandowski didn't do it, you know. You know they did it to themselves. They did it because because what they turned off the automated emergency braking system on that car, or they turned it off such that it wouldn't operate at speeds of forty miles an hour and above, and they were operating at speeds at above forty miles an hour. Right, and of course, this is Uber that we're talking about, not not Lyft in this instance. Right? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about Uber. I mean, I, you know, if I'm wrong, I will then, you know, we'll do a podcast and I'll apologize to everybody. Well, finally, finally, Alan, we want to encourage uh, listeners to check out some of the work being done by your students. Uh, you've got links in in the newsletter, a couple of them there. That yeah, a couple of them. We, we did a couple of really good ones. Uh, Jack McGill looked at the, at the um, uh, Lyft, Uber, uh, black car, and taxis, and so on, all the TNCs in, in New York. And the basic question was, uh, well, were people making inappropriate decisions when they they took um, a, a TNC as opposed to taking the New York City subway system where, when they were going. And uh, most people, uh, if they could afford it, uh, went to where they were going uh, substantially faster uh, by taking the TNC than, the, than uh, the New York City subway system. Of course, some people did make the inappropriate decision of taking New York City sub uh, of not taking the New York City subway systems, and we identified those. Uh, many of them end up coming from or going to uh, Penn Station, um, and that may be because uh, a lot of visitors may come to Penn Station, and therefore they're they're uh, 
uncomfortable or unknowledgeable about how good the, the New York City subway system really is. And of course, a lot of them are, between, are from Penn Station to uh, to Wall Street, which is, I guess, all those people that happen to take a train probably um, can't don't want to take a subway. That work down there on Wall Street. I don't know. I'm dumping on the Wall Street crowd. Sorry, bankers. Well, that is it, Alan, for this edition. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker, SoundCloud, lots more wherever you get your podcasts. And we're on your smart speaker, too. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening. Hey, Fred, it's always fun, and, and, and uh, we have a number of podcasts uh, lined up uh, this week, and I um, uh, hope everybody enjoys them. Thank you for listening.